Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Daryl Bentley, pastor of the Metropolitan Seventh-day Adventist Church. And now, here's Pastor Daryl. Let's begin with a word of prayer. I never want to open God's Word or attempt to share for Him unless I have spoken and asked Him to speak through me. So would you please pray with me? Dear Father God, I thank you that you are in the business of using humanity to bless humanity. Lord, we've just experienced that through Caroline's playing, the music that flowed out of her, it was able to fill this space to bless our hearts. And now, Father, we want to open our hearts and receive your word. We want to receive the teaching that you have in store for us. And Lord, I can't do that without your help. I'm dependent upon you. I need you to speak through me. I need you to cleanse me with the blood of Christ. Please, Father, in this moment, fill me as only you can do. And Lord, I ask that you would be with my brothers and sisters, that you would speak to them today. Lord, you know the message that each one needs to hear. Those that are here, those that may be watching online. Father, please speak to them as only you can do. Nobody needs to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So, Father, please let your words be heard. Let your intentions come through. Let your blessing be given. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about change, but not in the typical sense of addressing change, right? I mean, it's one of those cliche type things, right? Just like 2020, what was the temptation, right? Everything has to be cast in terms of optics, right? This new vision. Well, how was your vision for 2020? (laughs) All right, turned out pretty trashy, right, for a lot of us. So I tend to stay away from those very cliched things. Even the sermon that the Lord put upon my heart just before Christmas, I had someone text me after the message and say, Pastor, that was a very atypical sermon for Christmas, but I was blessed. (laughs) Praise God, right? I don't like to just succumb and buy into cliches and do that which is trite and expected. I want to see what does the Lord have to say in this moment and talk to you about change, but not in the sense of, are you going to make some resolutions? Let's just be real. Resolutions are just an excuse to fail. It's about all it amounts to, right? I mean, the statistics are not flattering at all for people who determined to make a resolution, and then they don't stick with it. Last Sabbath, we were in Hickory, North Carolina, and one of the elders, the first elder there at the Hickory Church, actually shared, and he said something that I thought was a little funny, actually. He said, I always break my resolutions, but I feel like I need to make one anyway. And I didn't get to ask him afterwards. I actually know him fairly well. I wanted to ask him, Steve, go through an exercise that you know is pointless but I didn't try to beat him up after his message. I thought he did a really good job. But as it relates to change, I want to take you to the words of a Greek philosopher. No, not that I'm trying to take you to the cisterns of Babylon to drink, 
But this is something that I think many of us may have heard before. It comes from a Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus. Heraclitus, H-E-R-A-C-L-I-T-U-S, Heraclitus. And he is quoted as having said, change is the only constant in life. Have you heard that before? All right, and it's been readapted, it's been reworded several different ways, but change is the only constant in life, and his statement, in some ways, seems to stand in contradiction to a biblical quote. Are you familiar with Ecclesiastes 1.9? This is yes in some cultures. Work with a brother. Are we familiar with Ecclesiastes 1.9? If not, I wonder how we would reacquaint ourselves. There's a simple solution to that one, isn't there? Ecclesiastes 1.9. And go ahead and get your Bible out. We've got some texts to look at today. So let's go ahead and just get those fingers working or fingers scrolling, whichever you choose to do. You guys know that I like my iPad because I can carry all my translations with me. But Ecclesiastes 1.9 from the New King James reads thusly, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. How much change does it sound like Solomon is promoting? Not a whole lot, right? And then what's the, then this is the last part, right? This is the part that most of us know from this verse, right? It says, and there is how much that's new under the sun? Nothing. Nothing new under the sun. Not absolutely a thing. So I wonder, is it actually possible to harmonize the two thoughts? We've got Heraclitus, who says change is the only constant. Then on the other side, the biblical part of the equation, we're told that there's nothing new under the sun. How can the two exist? harmoniously. What's very simple. You think just because you're the one going through it that you're the only one who have ever gone through it. Am I right? Kids love to hear that, right? When your kids are going through something and you try to tell them, well, listen, everybody goes through this. Well, I'm not everybody, right? Well, listen, you'll work your way through this. No, it's the end of the world. Well, it's really not, right? But what does it come down to? It comes down to a matter of experience and perspective. And sometimes we get a little bit more experience than we bargained for, right? I love going into Jimmy John's for two reasons. The first of which is the signs on the walls. And there's a sign in Jimmy John's. There's several truisms that I have gleaned from Jimmy John's. I've gleaned some other things from Jimmy John's. But there's a sign on the wall in there that it says, when you did what you did, you got what you got. That's somebody's fancy way of rewording the biblical principle. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, the same shall he reap. It's just a little modern way of saying it. Change is only something that is relative to your current experience. But as we think back on our world's most recent history, has our world experienced some change? How many of you cannot wait to go out of the house, step into a retail establishment just so that you can don one of these cussed things again? I despise these with a passion. I hate them. I'd like to use stronger language, but I'm a Christian. Does anybody else feel the same way? Oh, just drives me crazy. 
And I just heard of a recent experience where someone that I know had Christmas with their family outside. They all wore masks and somebody still contracted COVID. And then it begs me the question, what is this really doing other than irritating me? But I've got two ways I can react. I can let it bug me. I can let it get in the way of life. Or I can simply just move on. Which do you think I choose to do? Well, I haven't stopped shopping. In fact, I made a sacrifice for my wife the other day. She needed to get get groceries. Well, sweetheart, I've got a little free time. Why don't I get the groceries for you? What was I thinking? Grocery stores are not designed for the uninitiated. They do not put things together in a way that makes sense. She tells me to pick up lettuce. So I pick up lettuce, and then she says, get cabbage. Cabbage and lettuce are green. Why not put the cabbage where the lettuce is? But no, the cabbage is across the store. Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours it took me to get groceries, and I don't consider myself a simpleton. Three and a half hours, Mike. Do you feel me? Does that sound painful, brother? And I had to do all of it while doing what? I love you, sweetie. We've experienced change. But is it really change? Is it something new? No, it's not new at all. Back up with me. Let's rewind, right? Let's let's turn the tape backwards to 1918. What happened in 1918 that would be related similarly to our current conditions? There was a flu pandemic right, that gained the misnomer of the Spanish flu, not because it originated in Spain, but Spain was the only country that was willing to say, hey, we've got a problem. And since since they were the first ones to raise their hand while everybody else kept their mouth shut, it got this misnomer of the Spanish flu. How do you think that public health officials suggested that the spread of the Spanish flu be mitigated? Of course, I think I would like theirs better, Nick. They were using loosely knit gauze. Super effective. Probably about as effective as this one. Here's my point, saints. Might be new to us. It might be something that has disrupted our flow of existence. It might be something to which we have grown to loathe. But is there anything new under the sun? And I hear people say, oh man, I can't wait. I've heard it over and over. I can't wait till 2020 is over. As if somehow the striking of 1201 midnight, January 1st, would change anything. Oh, well, wait a minute. Congress just gave you more money. How many of you have already gotten your direct deposit of your $600? How many of you have already spent it? In case they took it back. Guess who gave them the $600 to give you $600? You did. All they did was give you your money back, and guess what? Who's on the hook to pay it back? You are. We don't think. 
But yet, that's a change. And yeah, of course, they're arguing. President Trump tried to block the signing of the bill so that it could be $2,000 per person within those categories. Friends, I look at all of this, but it's not new to human history. Often governments have used enticements to try to direct their citizens, to try to control their citizens. And friends, as I look around, I see the fulfillment of prophecy. I see a world that is spiraling, not towards recovery. Will the mask thing go away? I mean, it went away from 1918. Honestly, I had never seen anybody wear a mask in public my entire adult life except those who were maybe suffering with a compromised immune system and they were under those types of orders. I know some other countries, it's something that they've adopted on a more regular usage. But if you'd have told me last January that everywhere you go this time next year, you'll have to put a mask on, I would have told you you're crazy. Will it go away? Probably. Will I be happy if it goes away sooner than later? Amen. But here's my big question. Does it change anything? Not really. And friends, please, I hope you recognize I'm not speaking from someone who does not value civil liberties. I'm a veteran of this country's military. I've served this country, and I did it out of a sense of love for my country and a desire to serve. And I also respect, as each of you know, those of you that have served that are currently serving. But I also know that according to Revelation 13, that this country will change its stripes, so to speak, and that one day this lamb-like beast is going to speak like the dragon. So if I'm looking at, oh, the mask goes away, the businesses open back up, everything's hunky-dory, rah, 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 we're in a pipe dream. The harsh reality is that we are told that this world will become not better and better, but worse and worse. Let's review some of the history, right? Because if Heraclitus is correct, that the only constant is change, right? I've submitted to you that that's simply a relative experience. I embrace the overarching biblical principle that there's nothing new under the sun. Let's look at it together. Go to me with Genesis, please. Genesis chapter 6, if you will. Genesis what? Genesis 6, please. Do we know the context of these passages? What's the overarching story taking place in these chapters? Something about a preacher, same sermon for 120 years, ringing any bells, build a boat in a society with no boats. Are you with me? Guy named Noah. What's going on here, right? Pick up with me in verse 5, please. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that the every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only what, friends? Evil how often? Continually. So waking moment, waking thoughts, idle thoughts, right? Have you ever just been sitting there and you're just kind of lost in your own thoughts and somebody comes along and says, what were you thinking about? And you were really not thinking about anything, but you were thinking about everything? My wife likes to do that to me. What are you thinking about? And I've just gone through in my mind probably 50 different complex things and tying things together, and I'm thinking about church stuff and blah, 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 and then I'll look at it, and I don't know what to say. 
how do I capsulize all that, right? Kind of get lost in your own thoughts, right? So notice their thoughts, continual thoughts, the idle thoughts. When you're there just left to yourself, what does it say the types of thoughts were characterized as being? Evil. What was God's solution? He gave them a bath. All right? It just happened to wash the whole world. Was there a plan to be rescued if you chose to do so? All you had to do was get into the ark. Now, granted, I know it was a faith leap. Nobody had ever been on a boat. There was no need for boats. They hadn't seen it rain, let alone flood. So I understand there were some things that were hard to believe, but then you saw all these animals come out of nowhere and get on this boat, and yet you still didn't pay attention. Nick, I think you pointed out in Sabbath school that there are times when animals are smarter than we are. The solution was the destruction of mankind. The earth was rebooted through Noah and his family, yes or no? And then all the problems were fixed. How did that work out for us? Well, all we have to do is go to Jesus' words and find out how well he thinks it's going to work out for us. So let's just do that. Let's go to Matthew now. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, chapter with which we are all very familiar. Matthew 24, and if you would go with me down, please. To verse 37. Verse 36, we could grab just a little bit of context if you'd like. It says, but of that day and hour, Jesus says, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So friends, I have a question for you. Does Jesus say that things are going to get better or that things are going to go back as bad or worse than they used to be? Bad or worse? So okay, the mask mandate goes away. Praise God. Is the world any better? I mean, Ken, you're an engineer. I don't know the smallest measurement. In my mind, it's going to be related to nano something. Am I on the right track or is it micro? I mean, help me out. Nano is smaller than micro. Is there anything smaller than nano that you know of? Atomic? Oh, Pico. Okay, you just... That's what you get for asking a smart guy something, right? My point is, I don't care how small you can measure picos, nanos, micros, whatever, the world is not even that much better just because the mass mandate goes away. The world is still headed towards destruction. Notice what Jesus said. There were two components in the days of Noah. First, the thoughts of man were evil how often? Continually. And then what was the end result of that continual thoughts of evil? Worldwide destruction. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I'm about to come back. So are we headed towards good things or bad things? Bad things. And friends, please know, I'm not trying to be Pastor Chicken Little. The sky is falling. I'm simply trying to point out we cannot get up in these little things that are happening and base our happiness on those things. There's a bigger picture that's at play here. Yes, I would like to see the mask go away. Yes, I would like to see businesses be back open. Not just because I want to go shop or go out to eat. I don't like to see people struggle. (laughs) How many of you, when you see a business close, you say, oh, praise God, those people are hungry. 
Praise God that family business went out. I'm so glad they lost everything they had. How many of you feel that way? That's where my heart is. So when I say I want to see things open, it's just because I don't want to see people suffering needlessly. Where is the world headed? Jesus makes it very clear. Let's see if Paul affirms this. 1 Thessalonians 5 now with me, please. 1 Thessalonians what? Chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, most of us are familiar with verse 17 where it says, pray without ceasing. We're going to back up to the first of the chapter. And I'm going to quickly just review with you the first seven verses. We're just going to kind of hit it quickly, so stay with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. Amen if you're there. Have mercy if you're not. Anybody need mercy? All right, we're going on. Here we go. Notice what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Does that sound like Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1? What did they say to him? Lord, is this now the time that you're going to set up your kingdom? What did Jesus say to them? It's not your business to worry about times or seasons. Is Paul affirming the words of Jesus? Absolutely. Let's see if he continues. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as what? Thief in the night. Now, sadly, most of the Christian world, they take that expression, thief in the night, and they say, that means Jesus has to come and steal what belongs to him. Friends, when's the last time you went to the bank and you had to steal what you had deposited? Any experience I've had is I put money in the bank. If those funds need time to clear, after they have cleared, it's mine. I can go back and get it. Has that been your experience? Do you have to steal what belongs to you? Does Jesus have to come and steal the people that he's purchased with his own blood? No, wake up, Christianity. He doesn't have to steal us. We belong to his. What does 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tell us? Know you not that your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? For you have been bought with a price. He doesn't have to steal us. So what does it mean? Here's what it means. Notice verse 3. For when they say, and we all know who the collective they is, right? The collective they is the body that knows everything. Well, you know what they say. You should do this. You know what they say. Are you familiar with the website Snopes.com? Anybody heard of Snopes? How many of you have heard of Snopes? You know what I'm talking about. How many of you think it's just a weird word that I'm using? Snopes.com is a website of these people. It's a man and a woman who have set themselves up as the authority to either verify or debunk any claim. And people quote Snopes.com like it's gospel. Now, they might be right most of the time. I don't know. All I'm saying to you is let's be careful in whom we place our authority or our trust. Are you with me? Notice, when they, the collective they, say peace and safety, don't listen to them. When they tell you that, hey, when the mask mandate goes away, when they tell you that when the stores all open back up, Man, it's opening, it's wonderful when they tell you that finally we got that despicable Trump out of the office and now we've got a good president. When they tell you all this garbage, pay attention. Peace and safety? No, what's coming? Sudden destruction. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And for those of you who are uninitiated, who have never seen that happen, it is terrifying. I've been there. My wife has given birth to three children. When those labor pains start, 
I didn't know what to do. Especially when the first child came a month early. I literally got laid off from a job. Laid off from a job. Friday afternoon, I come home. Friday mid-morning, Sabbath morning, Ginger goes into labor. I didn't know what to do. But I can tell you, it was terrifying. They say something to you about water breaking. It's not water. The medical community, Sherry has lied to us. It is not water. It resembles any man. Labor pains. Is there any escape once those pains start? Well, this was written pre-epidural, so how much escape was there? None. For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them. But you, notice verse 4, but you, brethren, are not where? You're not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So notice, part of the thief analogy is, number one, nobody schedules a thief. Oh, yes, could you, uh, could you do Thursday? Well, we're going to be there Wednesday, so we'll be leaving Thursday. Could you come Thursday? Nobody does that. The point is, you don't expect a thief. That's what he says. Notice, you're not in darkness. This day should not overtake you as a thief. Why? Number five, you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Friends, the world is changing. It's not the first time that it's changed, but it's changing. And it's going to look like it's changing for the good. And I pray that people don't have needlessly miserable lives. I really do. But don't put your hope in the change that's presented to set you up for some sort of failure. Is that fair enough, yes or no? Are you with me, saints? Does that make sense? How does Jesus describe it? Two more verses I would like to share with you. Turn back with me to Matthew 24. Yes, I know we were just there, but I needed to make this little excursus before we come back. Matthew 24, and this time I want to go to verse 21. Matthew 24, verse 21, please. Are we there? Again, Jesus speaks and he says, then there will be a little blip on the radar. What kind of tribulation? Great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, that's not the first time that this great time of tribulation has been spoken of. Go with me now to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. I know, we're getting our exercise in our Bible today, aren't we? Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Coming to the last chapter of this beautiful prophetic book of Daniel, the prophetic twin of Revelation. Chapter 12. This is still the words of the angel that are speaking. Daniel was very blessed to have a visit from the angel Gabriel multiple occasions to share visions with him, to explain visions to him. And so it is still in that context of the angel that's speaking. Notice verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. Notice, and I want to ask you, do we see this language 
being very similar to what we just saw in Matthew 24. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was what? A nation even to that time. Does it basically sound like Jesus is paraphrasing Daniel 12, 1 to you? Yeah, you write them out, they look very similar, right? The hallmarks are all there. Great tribulation, nothing ever bigger, nothing ever going to be any worse. But here's one part I love. Who does it say is going to stand up? Michael. A lot of Christians believe that Michael is simply a created being, one of the chief angels. In fact, in some religious circles, he's even referred to as St. Michael, and it's the patron saint, I forget of who. I want to say like soldiers or something. Maybe that's why it's in my mind. But Michael, it's actually a very interesting study. Michael is a Hebrew name that asks the question. And it asks this question, who is like God? Friends, let me ask you this. What's the answer to that question? Who's like God but God? Nobody can be like God except God. When we read in the Scripture, who does it say that was God in the flesh? Jesus. Friends, I submit to you that Michael is none other than the pre-incarnate name of Jesus. The name that he used prior to taking on the name Jesus, he was not known as Jesus prior to the virgin birth. He took on the name Jesus, Yeshua, right? God saves, God will save his people. But before that, he was the commander of the Lord's armies. That's why it says that Jesus fought with him. Michael fought with the devil in heaven. It was none other than Jesus that he was battling. But what I'm trying to bring out is a better point here. The larger point is when I look at these quotes, that doesn't tell me that the world's getting better. That doesn't tell me that I can put hope in a political figure. That doesn't tell me that I can put hope in our economy. Do I hope that our economy stays as strong as it can, as long as it can? Eh, sure. Why would I not want that for people, right? But ultimately, what are we told will be your buy-in power and my buy-in power in the time of trouble when we have to make a stance for the Sabbath? How much buying power are you going to have as a faithful Seventh-day Adventist? Zero. Your money will be worthless. Your retirement will be worthless at that point. Now, please don't misinterpret me. I'm not saying go and withdraw all of your savings, make a run on the bank, cash out your retirement account. Listen, I don't know when the Lord's coming. You may live to use those funds, so don't freak out and be irresponsible right? Make a run on the banks and go stuff in your mattresses. Not what I'm talking about. I'm simply saying I cannot put my faith in those things. Use them, plan best we can, but ultimately it says he who does not have the mark of the beast will not be able to buy or sell. Again, I think I've driven the point over and over. People look at this year and they say it's supposed to be a new year full of hope and new beginnings and here you're telling us, Pastor, there's nothing but doom and gloom. How's that for a New Year's sermon? Is it atypical yet? Friends, at the end of the day, all I'm trying to say is that our hope cannot be in this world. And as I go into this new year, yeah, I stayed up. I rang in the new year. I kissed my wife at midnight, and I'm proud of it. Do it again next year if the Lord leaves me here. Amen? Here's a fun fact to know and tell that adds nothing to the sermon. Do you know that only 22% of people go to bed? 
88% of the population in the U.S. is estimated to stay up. So you 22 percenters, who went to bed? David? Here's my point, saints. I just want my hope to be in Jesus. Our hope is a people to be in Jesus. Yes, there's a better world that's coming, but it's not going to be here. What's going to happen to this earth? Well, let's look at Matthew 9. Let's see how the sermon ties into our scripture reading today. Matthew chapter 9. We'll go back to what Nick read for us earlier. And let's see what Jesus' counsel is for living in a crazy world. Verse 14, are you there with me, friends? The disciples of John came to him. Now notice who's asking. Who's asking? Disciples of John. What was John's current state? Living large. No. He was in the big house. But it wasn't the big house on the hill. It was the big house with the prison around it. John was in a dungeon. Were John's disciples having doubts with their faith walk? Yeah, they were freaking out. They were like, listen, this guy was the forebearer, the harbinger of the Messiah. This is the guy that got this messianic revolution started. And now Jesus is leaving him rotting away in a dungeon. In fact, John's courage was wavering. It was John who sent them to Jesus another time and said, hey, go ask him. You know, I may have been a little presumptuous. I may have gotten ahead of myself. Yes, I saw the heavens light open. I heard a voice of God speaking. I saw the Holy Spirit come down in a dove, but maybe he wasn't the guy. Go ask him, are you the one or should we wait for somebody else? It's that same group of guys now that are coming and what's their question? We and the Pharisees do what? Fast. Another fact for you. The strictest of those within the Jewish circles, especially of Phariseeism, would fast openly two days a week. When I say openly, it means you're going to know about it. I'm going to look miserable. I'm going to go around complaining. Right? I'm going to be openly praying especially prayers that are more condescending to you. I'm so glad I'm not like that Lorraine that can just sing wonderfully. So glad I'm not like her. But they did this. It was an open practice. Was that something that God had asked us to do? Did God go around and ask us to wear our spirituality open as something to flaunt before other people? No. So notice, now we've got these guys, disciples of John, okay? So one thing that we see that they're embracing is the old system of useless fasting. Do you see that with me right now? But they're also John's disciples, so what else does that tell me? Did John preach and teach the coming of Jesus? Did John preach and teach that repentance was needed? Did John teach and preach baptism? Right, so we've got some good things that John was teaching, but notice with what they are trying to mix them. Ah, Now, all of a sudden, what Jesus says next makes a little bit more sense. Have you ever read the rest of Jesus' words and thought, what's that got to do with fasting? Notice what Jesus says. He mentions the part about the bridegroom. In other words, I'm here. They don't need to mourn because I'm still here. They don't need to go around with long faces. I'm still here. 
once I leave, they'll have plenty of time to mourn and fast. There's plenty of trouble coming. Hang on, leave them alone. There's plenty coming. But then notice he gently rebukes them for trying to mix good teaching with poor teaching. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Verse 17, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are what, saints? Preserved. All Jesus is trying to say in a very nice way that didn't just directly call them out. He says, listen, you guys are trying to take old garbage and mix it with something new. And when you mix that which is new with this old stuff that I've asked you to get rid of, all it's going to do is pull apart and destroy both of them. If I take new wine and put it in an old wineskin, the wineskin breaks and spills out the wine. Do I still have the wine? Do I have the old wineskin? No, I've lost both, right? So Jesus is saying, by trying to hold on to both of these, you actually have nothing. And friends, that's the only point I want to make today. If you try to come into a new year, a new season of life, and try to hold on to the garbage of the old year, you're going to end up with nothing. My encouragement to you, let 2020 be in the record books and just forget about it. I can't do a thing to change it. Do you know what I would change first if I could change 2020? I'd have my grandmother back with me. Nothing would make me happier than to have my grandmother back. Anybody else resonate with that? You've lost someone that if you could turn back the hands of time, you'd have them back. But I can't do that. All I can do is look to the future with hope in my heart. Why? Because my hope's not in this world. My hope's in the world to come. How about you? What's going to happen to this world? Well, 2 Peter tells us, go with me to 2 Peter. Let's make sure we have the full picture of what we may be trying to cling to. 2 Peter, please. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, please. 2 Peter what? 3 and verse 10. Are we there? Notice, same context, same context Jesus has been talking about, same context Paul's been talking about, but the day of the Lord will come again as that thief, unexpected, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be what? Friends, I'm here to tell you, one day, my mask is going to burn. Praise God. It's either going to burn when we get released from them. If I have to wear it till Jesus comes, guess what? It's going to burn when Jesus comes. Amen? It's all going to be burned up. So why would I, why would you put our hope in a world that is simply nothing but kindling? So friends, today I would say to you that we need a new normal. And I have to be honest with you, I hated that term when they first started using it. Oh, this is our new normal. How many of you just thought that was a wonderful term? Oh, 
just grated on me, right? No, I don't want that to be my new normal. No! Right? Like that kid sitting into toy aisle in Walmart losing their mind because they weren't given that toy. Screaming and kicking. No, I don't want that new normal. And I wouldn't even use the phrase. No, I'm not embracing that. I'm not going to say it. And now it's a sermon title. Lord has a way of humbling you, doesn't he? Maybe he just does it to me because I need it more. But I got to thinking about it and I was praying and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to speak about today? Please let me know. Talk to me, Lord. And when the Lord gave me that sermon title, I said, I actually said to the Lord, I'm not using that. I despise that phrase. It represents something I don't like. It literally, while I'm praying, I'm talking to the Lord. This thought came to my mind. Well, why do you hate it so much? Does it bother you when people call you out? Why do you dislike it? Is that a fair question for the Lord to ask me? What is it about it that you don't like? Here's the answer I was forced to come to for myself. The reason I don't like the phrase is because it represents the loss that I've experienced in my life. To embrace the phrase, the new normal, is to admit that I've lost something that I didn't want to lose. Is that fair? So then the Lord had another question for me. Is what you lost really anything at all in the grand scheme of eternity? Yeah, I have to wear a mask to go shopping. I don't like it. But I tell you what, if you've ever been grocery shopping in Cuba, it doesn't take you three hours to get through the store. There's not enough there to take three hours to shop through. Oh, yeah, I had to walk across to another aisle to find the cabbage. Boo hoo. Well, Ginger wanted me to pick up nutritional yeast flakes. They didn't have it. I have to go to another store. (laughs) Get over it. Your life's not that bad. Suck it up, buttercup. Move on. Oh, boo-hoo, I couldn't get my nutritional yeast flakes at Meyer, so now I have to go to Better Foods. Bless your heart. There's the point. At least I have food available. I open the refrigerator, I have something there. I open the cabinet, there's something there. It may not be exactly the way I want it, and no, I don't like our civil liberties trampled upon, and yes, I'm happy to stand up and voice my concern when they're taken away from us needlessly. But in the grand scheme of time, what have I really lost? Nothing. Because why? Because I still have Jesus. I still have everything I need. And I believe when I look at Matthew 9, 14, Jesus is saying to them, as much as I hate to admit it, Jesus is telling the disciples of John, and I believe he's telling you and me today, what you need is a new normal. And it's not the normal that you thought you needed or that you wanted. It's not the normal where everything in this world is cherry and rosy and lollipops and rainbows for you. It's the new normal where you trust me for everything instead of trusting yourself. So friends, I asked you today, do you need a new normal? 
Has your normal been to trust your wits, to trust your education, to trust your finances, to trust your talents, your abilities? Are you trying to mix the things of God with the things of this world? We just read in our Sabbath school lesson this morning, how well was that working out for the children of Israel and Judah? Not too well. So as I come down to the end of this message today, I want to ask you, are you in love with or enamored by this world? Because if there is that love there in your heart for this world, there's a strong chance that you may miss out on the world to come. For me, I know that this world is destined for destruction because of sin. And if I cling to this world, I'm clinging to death. So today, friends, my decision is to not look back for that old normal, that pre-COVID-19 life. I want to look forward to that new life in Jesus. I want to look forward to him taking out of my life the things that are weighing me down, those things to which his teaching cannot attach or both suffer loss. I want to look forward to that ultimate hope, not in a vaccine, not in a stimulus check. Do you know that there's been about 10.8 million people that have been vaccinated so far? People are clamoring. Oh, I get that vaccine and the world's going to be perfect. Friends, a vaccine is not our ultimate savior. Stimulus checks, not our ultimate savior. It has to be Jesus. It has to be a new normal with him. And today I have to humbly admit that I need that new normal. And I want to embrace that with Jesus. How about you today, friends? Let us pray together. Loving Father, Lord, it's so easy to get caught up listening to the they's of this world. They said this. They say that. Ultimately, Father, we need to know what have you said? What does thus saith the Lord? And Lord, I thank you that your Bible is relevant even in 2021. Teaching that some people would look at and say, that's outdated, that's outmoded, it's irrelevant. Who cares what the Bible says? And really, when we take a moment to look, the Bible seems to be the only document that is relevant. Father, I pray that we would have the courage to embrace your word. That we would have the courage to set aside those trivial things that we let get us so wound up, so wrapped up, so caught up, that we would not try to attach your teaching while clinging to this old world because we know both will be lost. Father, give us today the courage to embrace a new normal of being in love with Jesus more than anything in this world. Please, Father, forgive us where we have failed you. Strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let our desires be for heavenly things, not just enamored with that which glitters down here. And I thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer today, for we humbly ask in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to Daryl Bentley, pastor of the Metropolitan Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you enjoyed this sermon, 
Why not visit his church this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Metropolitan Seventh-day Adventist Church at 15585 North Haggerty Road in Plymouth, Michigan, and their worship service starts at 1045 a.m. Their website is www.metrosdachurch.org. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production. 